that the Lord is good. And he also adds, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So as we sing this song, I just want you to think, you can think of all of those things that are burning burning you, but after you do that, also think about how God is going to work it out. Okay, and just give that to him and release that um, as we sing this song. Um, so you can reflect on that. <laughs>
giving of ourselves. Um, we just want to honor you and know that you have good plans for us. Um, show us um, just how much you love us in this moment. Um, share with us the good plans that you have. Um, just give everybody peace in this room um, to know that you are good. Um, Jesus' name. We're now going to go into a time of offering. Um, the different offering options are on the screen. Uh, so if you call, feel called to give, um, I suggest uh, going and doing that. There's also a box in the back over where Liston is headed now. So <laughs> thank you, Liston. <laughs> Um, and for this song, feel free to stand, feel free to sit, but this is really a praise song. Um, so as we're worshiping in this one, um, I want to invite you to just have the posture of praise, of offering up that to God. So. Thank you. 
we truly are blessed to have so many talented musicians. You guys did great. You too, Liston. Well done. All right. So it's at this time that we are going to enter into our time of prayer. This is a time that we set aside in every worship gathering for the purpose of prayer. And so we do this, one, because we believe that worship is not just something um, that we watch, um, but it's something that we participate in, something that we want to be active in. And so this gives us an opportunity um, to be active in worship, to be participants in this. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to be authentic with one another, um, to share the things going on in our lives, whether that be good, bad, or the confusing in between, um, so that we could hold one another up in prayer. And this is an opportunity for us just to enter into God's presence as well. Um, now, as we enter into God's presence, I want to first ask you guys, um, and feel free to shout out answers. And this is one thing that I think we've all recognized is that in this theater and in this space, it's kind of built to make us feel like we should sit down and be quiet. Um, but church is not necessarily something that we just sit and watch like a theater production. And so sitting down and being quiet isn't necessarily the most conducive thing um, to worshiping our God. And so I want to ask the question, and I want you guys to shout out the responses of what is God like? How would you describe God? He's consistent. God is consistent. Anything else? What's God like? Just. What was that? Loving. <laughs> He's dada. <laughs> That's what I heard. I mean, theologically, she's on she's on the right track there. <laughs> Confusing, compassionate, mm. creative, faithful. Okay. Merciful. Well done. Sovereign. Well done. Now, you know, the first time that God ever described himself was in Exodus 34. Um, because that was the first time God ever described himself, Exodus 34, verse 6, actually became the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible, which I think is fascinating, that as you look throughout both the Old and New Testament, the most referred to, the most quoted verse um, is from Exodus 34 here. And this is the first time that God ever described himself. And I think as we now enter into this time of prayer, I just want us to remember and be reminded of who this God is that we are approaching in prayer, of what God is like. And so in Exodus chapter 34, in verse 6, uh, this is how God described himself. He says, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That this is our God. And so now as I open um, the floor for the mic to be passed around and for requests, for praises to be shared, I just want us to focus our hearts and minds on the reality that this is who our God is. He's compassionate, he's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Do you want to? Are you asking? <laughs> Great. And so with that, uh, I want to hear from you guys. How is it that we can pray for you this morning? Uh, or what is it that you're praising God for? Hello, my name is Joey. Um, yeah, God is all those things and so much more and amazing. Um, and uh, my prayer request is for me and Lindsay both because we start our full-time jobs tomorrow. Um, so it's a big transition 
uh, into this next stage of life, having both just graduated. So uh, really just we would ask for prayer that we would be trusting in God and his character um, 100%. And yeah, where we are weak, he is strong. And just that we would remember that and look to him in all things. So that's our prayer request. Awesome. Yeah, pray for you guys as you enter this new work. Okay, I'm Audrey, um, and I just want to share this praise along with you guys. My younger sister has made the decision to get baptized today, so I'll be bugging out right after service to go celebrate with her and Gillette. So Aww. I'm just super excited for her. That's awesome. And that's Anya. Anya's getting baptized out there in Gillette. Oh, praise God. I'm glad that you'll be able to make it for that. That's cool. Thanks. Hey, my name's Daniel, and I've been given some updates on Kellen. Kellen um, has left the ICU, and um, yeah, God is compassionate. So, <clears throat> uh, a long road ahead for this guy, um, hour to hour rather than day to day, but yeah, praise God for that. Oh man, yeah, we've been praying for Kellen for a while, happy to hear he's headed home. My name is Taylor. I also have a praise. I asked for prayer for my car that had stalled in the middle of water last week. And even though it had water in the engine and no one thought that it was going to survive, it's actually, it only cost $200 to fix it. So it's totally okay. So thank you for your prayers. That's just an awesome little miracle. Praise God. Yeah, that was a scary situation. Glad you guys are okay, though. can't tell if you're shooing her away or if you're waving, Nick. Uh, speaking of little miracles, I'm just really thankful for all these little squawking babies that we have. And I love that they squawk in here. That, to me, is the sound of worship. So, yeah, we rejoice in our children uh, that are here and uh, that are to come. Smooth, smooth. So... If you guys were here last week, you'll know that Dayton asked, um, just out of the prompting of the, of the Holy Spirit, um, Dayton kind of flipped the tables and how usually, you know, I stand up here and I ask you guys to share things that you want prayer for. And Dayton said, hey, uh, we haven't heard from you in a while. What is it that you want prayer for? And it was that day that uh, it was my father-in-law's 60th birthday. And so we were going to Zoom the family and we had sent him a big box of gifts. And then that same weekend, my parents got into their new house. They had just moved. And so we sent them a housewarming present. And then we were, you know, going to get a little video tour of the new house as well. And we used those opportunities to not just give a birthday gift or a housewarming gift, but also to announce to them that we are expecting a child come December. So that's exciting. Oh, thank you guys. So we're really excited, but when Dayton asked that, I was sweating because I wasn't allowed to tell anyone yet because we had to tell our parents first. And so the Holy Spirit was trying to ruin the surprise, Um, but (laughs) we stuck to it, and now we're very excited. So come December, there should be a little fowler running around, squawking, I guess, is what they do. It's what I'm being told. I'm taking notes right now. (laughs) They don't run right away? Oh, man. Maybe your children, but we'll see about mine. (laughs) Oh, but that's great. So if you guys could... (laughs) She's excited. (laughs) Congratulations, followers. That's just great. Um, I just want to lift my dad up again. 
Um, so I went to an appointment with him uh, on Friday, and he's got a new diagnosis now, and it's it's not looking too good. So if you could just please pray for my, continue to pray for my dad, Jim. Um, it's going to be tough for him uh, with what's going on, and um, we're still working on his soul, too. So that's what I'm more concerned about. Right. Thanks. Yeah. I'll pray for your dad, Jim. We just want to say thanks to the Lord. He brought us 1,800 miles from North Carolina back to home in the yeah. cabin up south of Deadwood. So we're glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad you guys are back. That's so exciting. <laughs> I was going to save this for next week, but then Nick brought it up. So um, we're going to have a one-year-old Friday. Well, you, you, yeah, it's a whole thing in my <laughs> head. Um, and so just praise for that. And like he said, all the little babies running around, it's great that they kind of all get to grow up together a little bit. It's fun that they automatically have friends because we're forcing them to be. <laughs> um, but, yeah, praise for that. And then also just some prayers because we are having a little bit of a party, and I have to figure out how to make some things that I've not made before for a number of people. I don't know how many are coming. Um, and then also just with... A possibility of my dad being there and my mom being there, and I think probably in the same place in a, in a couple of years. Um, so just prayers for that. But also another prayer is that we do have such great friends like Daniel and Emma that have allowed us to use their home yeah, for this. Cool. So, oh, that's exciting! It's exciting to be able to celebrate, and we'll also pray for that this would be a great opportunity for family to be connected uh, at celebration for Liara there. Yeah, Susie. I'm Susie, and um, pray for Dave because he hurt his back. He has a herniated disc. He had a herniated disc, and then he lifted something that he shouldn't have lifted. So, you know, he can't, like, sit in a chair for very long or do anything very long. And pray for Kayla France. Um, She was diagnosed with a third cancer now that she's dealing with. She's down at MD Anderson. Um really good team of doctors there um but needs a lot of prayer yeah 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 and for Kay down there thanks for sharing that all right well if that is all the requests um we will turn to God in prayer and here's how I want to do this um, I've broken them up into three sections because guess what? That's how many sections we have here of chairs. And so I'm going to assign each of you sections, um, a few of those requests that have been shared. And I would like us to gather around um, into small groups of somewhere between three um, to six or so. And would you um, pray over these requests together um, that have been shared? And so you guys on my left here, I don't know if you wrote these down, but if not, try to remember them real fast right now. Um, but if you guys would pray for Joey and Lindsay as they enter into their new jobs, as they trust the Lord um, in this next season that they believe he has led them into, and just all the change that that is going to entail. So would you guys pray for Joey and Lindsay? Pray for Taylor, and just praise God um, for the fact that he has saved them from a significant expense and protected them in that way. We were praising God that our car um, was not completely totaled. Um, pray for Lori's dad, Jim, um, for the new diagnosis and the health that he has been struggling with. Um, pray for uh, Dave and his herniated disc. 
And then for Kayla France, um, who's down in Texas, um, dealing with cancer treatment down there. So those are your guys's. So would you gather up and pray over those? You middle section here. Here is what you're going to pray for. Um, praise God. Audrey's sister Anya is getting baptized today in Gillette this afternoon. Um, would you pray and praise God just for all the babies, the new life in this place, um, with that requ- that uh, praise that Nick shared about how just we're rejoicing in these little lives. And would you continue to pray that we would be good examples and that we would continue to rally around the families that are raising these little ones. That's a very important task. And then you guys, would you also um, praise God that the Apadals are back? So you in the middle here, you're our, you're our praise people today. Um, praising God for Anya getting baptized, for all these these children, and for the Apadals being able to return back here to the Black Hills. And you guys on my right hand, uh, would you also just turn to God in prayer for Kellen, um, this young man who had spent time in the ICU. He had gone sepsis at one point, I'm pretty sure, um, but it looks like he's able to go home. Um, would you also pray for Lena and I and for our family as we are expecting a little squawker like that in December? Pray for Logan, Andrea, and Liara, for the Phelps family, for this party that they're going to have, um, especially because his parents are going to be there, um, and just that they would be able to continue to celebrate their granddaughter and that the, the family history of conflict would not get in the way of that. Does that sound good? If you didn't get all that, look for someone who did. And then I will begin us in prayer, and then at the end I'll go ahead and close us, and we can move into uh, hearing from God's word. Sound good? So during this time, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads as we turn to the God who is compassionate and gracious, the God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, who maintains love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And so, God, we turn our attention to you. One, we just pause and we recognize how much you have been doing in and amongst us and just how good you are. But yet we know that that this joy and praise and then the grief and the, the request, they run on parallel lines in our lives. And at the same time that we're praising you for some of these things, and we're asking you to change certain situations. We're asking you to heal bodies that are just suffering in this time. We're asking you to perform miracles and do things that only you can do. We're asking you to empower family members and friends um, to be close to those who are hurting. And we're asking you to just lift the burdens of so many we're feeling weighed down this morning. So God, we turn our attention to you. Uh, We thank you for allowing us to approach your throne with these requests. And so Jesus, it's in your name that we pray all these things. I'm <laughs> 
So, Father God, we praise you. Uh, we declare today, in the midst of beautiful, good circumstances, in the midst of the hard, the painful suffering, and in the midst of everything in between that seems so confusing, we declare in light of all of that, that you are and only ever are good. And so, God, we ask that you would work 
through this next time as we turn to your word. Uh, we believe that your word is living and active, and we just thank you for empowering Nick um, to preach your word. We just open up our hearts and minds to receive what it is that you have for us today. And so, God, would your Holy Spirit just be on Nick as he comes to teach from one of Jesus' central teachings here, that we would not just receive more information about what Jesus thought, um, but would we truly be transformed by your Holy Spirit to look more like your son? And so, Jesus, we just give you this time to do with it what you will. Would you make our ears open? Would you make our hands willing to do what it is that you're calling us to do? Because we truly believe that you are good and your ways are good. And so, Jesus, we just thank you for this body, for this church who holds one another up in prayer. Continue to make us a people um, who are united in our faith in you. And so, Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Evan. Good morning, everyone. Um, I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture today outside of the Sermon on the Mount before we go to the Sermon uh, on the Mount. And that passage is in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes uh, 7-9. Maybe it's been a while since you dipped your toe uh, into this book, written by, we believe, King Solomon uh, in his old age, after having drifted away from God and hopefully having come back to him and uh, sharing some wisdom. And uh, he, he's kind of tricky in how he wrote Ecclesiastes because he's, he's doing it from an uh, atheist perspective of what life is like without God uh, in the picture. And uh, then true to Solomon's form, uh, he just can't leave us without throwing a proverb or two at us. So in Ecclesiastes 7-9, here is one of those proverbs, and I kind of wanted to plant this in our hearts before we go to the Sermon on the Mount. And, And here's what it says. It says, be not quick in your spirit or eager in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Okay, anger lodges in the heart of fools. And uh, it's be real tempted right now to say, well, I don't have a foolish heart, but uh, we got to get over that one really quick because we do. Uh, we do have a fool's uh, heart in our brokenness uh, and, and in our sinfulness. And when when Solomon used that word lodge, he meant it it it's stuck in there. <laughs> uh, it's, it, I had a I had to do some work for uh, one of Lori's doctors once, and I was in the garage uh, doing some work, and I noticed something sticking through the walls, uh, the drywall of the garage, and I looked very closely, and I, what I was looking at was the business end of a broadhead arrow tip. And I thought, what in the world? Because there were three or four of them sticking through there. So I went outside, and underneath the deck in the corner, uh, apparently uh, her former husband had set up hay bales, and that's where he did his target practice. But he practiced with broadheads instead of practice tips kind of thing. And he actually shot through the wall of his own garage, through the siding all the way into the interior drywall. And I thought, what a fool. Because yeah. <laughs> arrows lodge in the house of a fool, apparently, when you do that. And uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about building houses and things as we get to the end of this message. But um, I, I really wanted this to resonate because I will tell you something now. We're going to talk about, a lot about anger today. And uh, I am an angry man. I am. I didn't think I was. 
but I have come to find out that I am. And so as I preach this sermon, it's going to be one of those sermons that's going to be turning away inside here uh, while I'm going at it. But at this point, um, will, will you take a minute with me and, and will you pray one more time? Because I want us, as we approach Scripture, to invite the Holy Spirit to do what he does best, and that's to do his job in transforming us. So let's pray together. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we come to you dependent upon your Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, we cannot do this thing called Christianity. We cannot worship you as we ought to. We cannot walk with you as we ought to. We cannot live the life that you died to redeem in us this new life in Christ without you. As Evan pointed out last week, as Jesus said, we can do absolutely nothing uh, apart from you. And so, Lord, we come grateful for your Holy Spirit, the the gift that you have given to us, that your presence would reside within us, um, that you truly would be Emmanuel to us. And Lord, I stand here to confess that often I walk in my own strength, I walk in my own wisdom, I walk in my own power, and when I do that, I do nothing that is righteous in your sight. So God, for us to be righteous as you desire for us to be, um, we need your spirit. So right now in this moment, Lord, as we approach the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, we yield ourselves to you. And Lord, we pray that there would be nothing in us that would resist your spirit, that would quench your spirit, or that would grieve your spirit, but that we would be wholly given over uh, for your Holy Spirit uh, to take control in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Evan did a really good job of demonstrating to us the high view of Scripture that Jesus possesses. Boy, if anybody has the, the right view of Scripture, uh, of what the Bible is, then we need to go to Jesus and, and, and see that. And as, he was, as, he, as Jesus was telling us about the Law and the Prophets, the Old Testament and what it means, um, he gave us this challenge that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, I would think the original listeners of Jesus at that point would have went, Welp, <laughs> we're sunk. You know, because at that time, you know, that's how they defined righteousness, the Pharisees, okay, and their adherence to the law. And apparently they had it way better than any of us did, but Jesus is coming along flipping over tables already and, and saying, no, I'm, I'm talking about a, a, a different, an entirely different type of righteousness. See, what the Pharisees had was self-controlled righteousness. It's up to us. We can do this. What Jesus wants us to experience in the Sermon on the Mount is spirit-controlled righteousness. That means he's the one that's covering us and giving us that. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we've got to make sure that we're not reading a treatise that's, you know, something along the lines of how to be super-righteous, because that's not what Jesus is going after here, um, or how to be really righteous. Again, that's not what he's aiming at. Or how to be truly righteous. Now, what, what he's talking about is how to be covered with his righteousness. 
All right? So last time I had the opportunity to speak about the Sermon on the Mount, I gave you a pro tip about studying the Bible. Anybody remember what that was? Oh, man, you got to take better notes. What's that? Oh, okay, good call. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, didn't, it didn't get recorded either, so you're, you're off the hook. Okay, here, here's what it is. It's one I'm really good at. It's called Play Dumb. Okay, play dumb. In other words, come to the scripture and don't come in there with pre-assumed understanding and that kind of thing. Uh, come in there fresh. Uh, come in there and let Jesus completely rearrange the furniture uh, in our minds and our thinking as we get here. So here's a second pro tip that, that I want to give you on studying the Bible. And here it is. Do not treat the Bible like an operator's manual. Okay? Don't do that. Now I, I've seen the I've seen the the cute little bumper sticker T-shirt mentality and things like that and and for a while there I even kind of liked it until I realized how dumb it was, uh, but that's the you know the Bible as an acrostic B I B L E basic instruction before leaving Earth. That is not what the Bible is. Okay, it is not an operator manual. It's not a list of do's and don'ts and here's how you do this and here's when you do that and that sort of thing. The Bible is mainly about Jesus. And it's an invitation for us to walk in relationship with him. If you get nothing else, uh, get that. That the Bible, instead of being a whole bunch of instructions for us, in fact, uh, less than 1% of the Bible is about do's and don'ts. That means that 99% plus is about something else. And it's about this. Who Jesus is and an invitation to walk in a relationship with him. Pretty much the entirety of the Bible is principles on how we should walk. Uh, principles and how we need to use the brains that God gave us because he says, look, you're not dummies. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you uh, an intelligence, plus I'm going to give you my spirit so that when you read whatever you're reading, even if it's Ecclesiastes, even if it's Leviticus, you'll be able to apply that into your life walking in relationship, and as you do that, walking with him to be covered by his righteousness and not trying to whip up some of our own. So this means that to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to be completely dependent upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his resurrection, and his gift of the helper, the Holy Spirit. Does anybody remember those Super Bowl commercials, the trunk monkey? Am I the only one that remembers the trunk monkey? Oh, okay. All right. Sorry, but every time I think of the Holy Spirit, I think of the trunk monkey. <laughs> you know, there's this little monkey in the back of the car, and you just pull a lever, and he comes out and does what, you know, he takes care of your road rage for you by throwing wrenches at the drivers and things. Yeah, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I have a warped perspective of the Holy Spirit, right? We all do, okay? We all have a little bit of a goofy uh, understanding of the Holy Spirit, and, and this is probably the main thing that Jesus wants us to understand is that he says, I'm, it's to your benefit that I ascend back to my Father because then I can send my Spirit to reside within you. And I will be with you forever, always. That doesn't mean uh, in all time. It means always means in every possible manner that he could be with us until the end of the age. So right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have depended upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross... You are a recipient of the greatest gift ever, and that's the presence of God in your life. Because if we did not have that, we could not do what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. 
So today, I'm going to challenge you to be truly Pentecostal. Ooh, I, I heard that. There was that <laughs> little nerve. Because, you know, we, we do things with words, right? And when we hear the word Pentecostal, we typically think of a group of, you know, people that do weird things and say they're doing it in the spirit. Like they start barking in church, right? I'm not talking about barking in church or things like that. See, the true Pentecostals were the original disciples of Jesus Christ back in Acts chapter 2, right? And what we did is we let Pentecostal get usurped into some kind of a thing that makes us all nervous and feel a little itchy and weird and things like that. To be truly Pentecostal means to just truly live with the presence of Jesus Christ, spirit, in your life. That means that when it's scary to go share the gospel with somebody, but you do it anyway, you're being Pentecostal. Okay? When it's really hard to have hope in a world that seems to be so hopeless, that's being Pentecostal. Okay? It's the Holy Spirit at work living in us. And it's not so much about outward signs and things like that. Does God still heal? Of course God still heals. Does God still have prophetic words? Yes, of course God still speaks through his word prophetically to us. But really, it's more about what's going on inside than what we see coming on the outside. Because if it's going on inside, it'll work its way out the way it's supposed to. So, here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You are not going to like this passage. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You're not going to like it. Jesus speaking says, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. He combines the Old Testament Ten Commandment along with a command from Leviticus. But then he says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, in some versions it actually gives the insult, raka. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Did you notice how many times Jesus said you're going to be liable to something there? Four times. Four times. And we can't ignore that, because as Evan said, the first description we have of, of God is one of tenderness and love and, and loving kindness and, and grace and forgiveness and that sort of thing, but at the same time, a righteous God who will not ignore iniquity, who will not let it pass, he will hold us liable for that, okay? We're responsible beings, and so, you know, we can't sugarcoat who God is. Yes, he is loving, and that's good news. You know, if if we didn't understand what we were liable for, then we really wouldn't understand what grace is. If we didn't understand what God saves us from, then we really wouldn't have an appreciation of the salvation that God has given to us. So I think it's very important that Jesus repeated himself by saying liable to judgment, liable to the council. That was the Sanhedrin. That was the, the Jewish leaders who were the highest supreme court at that time. Liable to the hell of fire. There was a valley outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna. And that's where they took the human dung and waste and refuse and things like that. And it perpetually burned. 
And Jesus used that valley of Gehenna as a picture of what we're liable to if we're angry with a brother or we insult a brother or we treat another human being as if they're morons. I told you you're not going to like this. I'm going to like this one. He goes on to say, verse 23, If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And, and the word that Jesus used for penny there was the smallest increment of money that you can, uh, that you can imagine. Okay? So Jesus, he, he says, I'm, I'm not ignoring this stuff. Says, I'm telling you, there's a high cost uh, for these things. So I want to go back to this idea that we have this tension that exists that Jesus is addressing here. Self-controlled righteousness, meaning I can manage this, versus spirit-controlled Righteousness, Because when we read the Ten Commandments and we read that commandment that says, Thou shalt not murder, most of us go, I'm good. Okay. Haven't shot anybody. Haven't stuck a knife in anybody. Haven't put poison in their drink. Okay. Nobody is dead because of me. I'm good. Right. Have not murdered anyone. Yet. But Jesus says, look, I'm not talking about this, this surface action, outward things. I'm talking about the intent of the heart because something produces murder. Okay? Murder just doesn't happen. Murder is the product of a sinful heart. And it's the product of anger. The product of anger. Now, this is one of those passages that is universally true of every single human being sitting in this room. There's not a one of us that say, well, I dodged this bullet. Because the truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, we all suffer from the malpractice of anger. We all do. We all do. Now, for a long time, I'd like, you know, my wife used to say, my husband, he's, he's the most patient man I knew. Okay? We'd only been married a few months when she was saying that. 32 years later, she don't say that anymore. All right? I used to think I was a patient dude. I really did. But I came to learn that, oh, I've I, I got something else that's, that's going on here. So here's some things about uh, anger, okay? Now, again, everyone gets everybody gets angry. We all do. That's the first, thing, the first hump we've got to get over right now. If you're one of those people who say, well, I don't get angry. I'm pretty cool about things. I'm pretty, I'm pretty chill about stuff. I don't get angry. Well, you've got another problem other than anger. That's called denial, okay? And we'll have to address that one in, a, in, a, in another passage here. So anger, here's three things about anger. It comes in three forms, 
Okay? There's basically three forms of anger. Two of those forms are opposite ends of the spectrum, and they are extremely unhealthy. And, and we'll unpack those in a minute here. All right? And then there's a, another form of anger that lies in between. All right? Now, another thing that's good to understand about anger is that anger is not a sin in and of itself. Anger is an emotion. Okay? It's a God-given emotion. That's why I say there's not one of us here that can say, well, I don't get angry. Because in order to that to be true, you've got to be Mr. Spock or something like that. You know, for all you guys that are... Yeah, that's Star Trek. Sorry, I shouldn't have made that reference. All right? Now, you have emotions, and anger is one of them. All right? Just think for a minute. Okay, just do this. What makes you angry? Okay, just think about that. Did that take you long to think of something? What makes you angry? Boom, I have something in my mind. It's like, I don't know, the whole list is... A, okay, now let me go a little bit deeper here. This is going to hurt. Who makes you angry? Well, probably the guy preaching right now. <laughs> Who makes you angry? And I really want you to think about that. I, I, want, I want a name in your heart. Who are you angry at? Who you been angry at? Who have you said, well, I should forgive them, but I just don't want to. <laughs> or I tried to forgive them, and it just doesn't seem to take. Who are you angry at? Because if we have anger towards somebody... What we're doing is we're killing them a little bit at a time. Just a little bit at a time. Because here's, here's what it is. Murder is eliminating somebody's presence from this earth. When you get so mad at somebody that you think your life would be a whole lot easier if they didn't exist, you're liable to judgment. Okay, see how that works? There's not one of us that can escape that one. This is a universal uh, human problem, okay? Because we have this emotion that creeps up in us, and we don't know how to control it. Third thing about angry is we have to understand that God gets angry. Okay? God gets angry. We see Jesus get angry, right? So there must be a right way to deal with anger, because God's not going to be angry in a wrong way, Right? When Jesus flipped over tables and, and, and he was angry, he wasn't out of control. Okay? He was completely and totally in control during that moment. Okay? See, now that's the thing. Jesus is Jesus and we aren't. And we are not. So what do we do with our anger? You might remember last week that Evan said there's two mistakes that we can make when it comes to applying the, the uh, words of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. The first mistake is believing that we can't do it. Okay. Or the other mistake is believing that we can do it. Okay. Uh, it's a mistake to believe that we can control our anger. It is. Okay. Anger management classes aren't going to help. Okay. Because the problem's still there. It's called a sinful heart. Something bigger than anger management classes have to step in. So no, we cannot control our anger. Uh, but the flip side of that is, is it's a mistake to believe that our anger never can be controlled because that's why Jesus gives us his word and his Holy Spirit to us so that we're able to actually do it. That's the good news. Okay, Bad news, you're angry people and you know it. That's bad news. I'm sorry. We all are. The good news is, is through Christ and Christ alone... There's a way to manage it. 
We'll get to that and unpack. All right, so three forms of anger. I told you a couple of them are really bad. They're actually downright scary, all right? Here's the first one. It's the throw stuff kind of anger, the explosive anger, the immediate anger, the, whoa, there it is right there. You know people like that? Okay, all right, yeah, we all know people like that. Are you people like that? Is that your kind of anger? There it is, okay, just instantly. Now, that should scare us. That should terrify us because we're seeing a person out of control when that happens, all right? Uh, the other kind of anger is what I call the wine bottle anger. This is the kind of anger I have, by the way. It, it's the anger that you just kind of stuff down inside. Okay? And then you pretend you're not really angry. Okay? I'm calm. I've got this. It's okay. And we just bury it. You know? Just, and, and, and the reason I call this wine bottle anger is because it, it, you know, it just kind of gets better with age. Okay. We just let it distill there inside us. And guess what? We usually fool ourselves into thinking, I've got it handled. That anger's gone. That thing that ticked me off and I just kind of you know, swept it under the rug there, it's, it's good. It's, it's not there. Problem is, it's still under the rug, festering, growing. And, and this one, I think, is even scarier than the immediate explosive anger because that anger, eventually, like a wine bottle, the cork's going to get popped. And when it comes out, it's going to come out on people that didn't deserve the anger or situations that had nothing to do with the initial anger. This is going to spill out. That's why it scares me. Okay, And I've done that. I thought I had my anger managed, <laughs> only to find out that my anger was managing me. Sometimes this kind of anger will disguise itself as well. Here's one of the forms, grief. I know a lot of people... They're angry people that are telling you they're grieving people. Now, grief and anger, they do go hand in hand. But this is how so serpent-like anger is, how it can slither into us, that old serpent of the garden. We think we're grieving, and we use that as an excuse just to be bitter, angry people, hurting and not healing. Get that? Hurting and not healing. Because here's what happens. When we get angry at somebody, like Jesus described in this passage, we've been wounded. We've been offended. We've been hurt. I get that. I understand that. That's really what happens. That's why we get angry. Okay? But here's, here's what we do is, is we, we allow that, that wound to just continue to exist. And it's not doing anybody any good. Our anger that we hold on to does not help you. It does not help your situation. It doesn't help the people around you. Because like I said, sometimes anger that we don't even direct towards the people that we love can pour out on them because we're not in control of it. And so instead, we just sit there and we kind of pick that scab. Isn't that a gross picture? Just keep picking that scab. Keep picking that wound. Keep picking that offense. Keep picking that that hurt. You know what happens? Infection gets all pussy, turns into a scar. Never really heals the way it's supposed to heal. So that's why Jesus, I think, lands so hard on this. So there's the explosive anger, there's the buried anger. <laughs> and then somewhere in between, I think, is this anger the, hey, that kind of makes me mad. I'm mad. I'll tell you what, all I have to do is drive from the west side of Rapid City to the east side of Rapid City, and I am a serial killer. Okay? 
It's true, it is. And it's, it's something I've got, you know, I, when I read this, I go, I, this has got to get corrected. Okay, so here it is. The, this makes me mad. I'm mad enough to hit somebody. Okay? My son-in-law says dumb things like, I'm so mad I could punch a baby. I notice he hasn't said that since he became a father. Okay? <laughs> Which is good. All right? But, you know, I'm so mad I could kick a puppy. <laughs> that's just admitting. That's just being self-aware that, yeah, something has made me mad. All right? And that's okay. It's okay. I, I'm, I'm mad enough I, I could just bury it down deep inside. Or I, I'm just mad enough to just pop. But I, I, I'm mad enough to say I don't want to be mad like this. I'm, I'm actually kind of angry at my anger. I'm, I'm, I'm mad enough to say, hey, God, I'm mad. And, and, and I don't want to behave in a way that isn't like Jesus. And I don't want to develop an attitude that Jesus himself would not possess. And in some way dishonor you with this anger, this madness that I'm feeling right now. So, God, I'm just saying right now, in my anger, help me through your scripture and your spirit to do what Jesus would do and to think how Jesus would think. You get that kind of anger? That's the right kind of anger. God, I'm mad. I'm just being honest with you. I'm really mad. And I don't want to step out in my anger and do something that's not like Jesus would do. Or thinking like Jesus would think. I think there's a very simple equation that Jesus gives us in this passage, and it's this. Anger plus hatred equals murder. Okay, when we get angry and, and we mix a little hatred in there with that, we have just made ourselves a cocktail that is incredibly destructive, and not just to people around us, but destructive to our own spirit. Now, when we think about that, Jesus had nothing to do with that. Because remember, I said Jesus got angry, right? But one of the things you never see Jesus do is get angry and hate. In fact, you don't ever see him hate. You, you see Jesus being angry and loving instead. But you see, we as fallen human beings, we are all about that. And if you read your Bibles, you're just going to see that long trail out of Eden of anger and hatred. It didn't take long. Cain and Abel. Need I say more? Jacob and Esau. Joseph, the son of Jacob, and his lunkhead brothers. King Saul, and the soon-to-be King David. You can just keep reading. It goes on and on and on. And then the New Testament doesn't change. We have the religious leaders and Jesus. Anger and hatred. See, it's the condition of the human heart. It's the thing that Jesus came down to earth and went to a cross for so that it could end so that it could get fixed. I made a Star Trek reference, so here's one that's going to be probably even more obscure to a lot of the generation that we have here in this one, and that's the Bob Newhart skit. Okay, I'm just going to just do this. You're going to love it. YouTube, Bob Newhart, stop it. That's all you got to type in. Bob Newhart, stop it. Because basically you're seeing a psychologist that has a person come in with a problem and this person's pouring out what their problem is and Bob Newhart goes, well, well I guess what we have to do is address that. So, stop it! Okay. It's fun. I like that. I think, I think most therapy is really unnecessary if we just use those two words, stop it. 
kind of thing. Uh, and, and I think that's what Jesus is really saying here when he's talking about anger plus hatred mixing and brewing in our hearts. He's just saying, stop it. But he's, he's saying a little bit more than stop it because that doesn't work, does it? You don't just stop. You just don't quit. Okay. All right. We, we need something a little bit more. All right. So let me go back to the name calling thing here. Sticks and stones don't break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Ever hear of that one? Okay. All right. It's amazing. You don't know Spock, but you know that. It's okay. I'm not angry. Well, isn't that a, isn't that a lie? Isn't that, isn't that such a fallacy? Because words do hurt, don't they? They penetrate. They 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 come in deep, and and man, they they, whew, boy, do they burn. Okay, so Jesus said, anybody who insults his brother. Now, in, he used a specific term in the original language, one that we don't use, and that's an Aramaic term called raka. Okay, it's really kind of hard to translate raka, other than that it encapsulates this whole idea of somebody being absolutely worthless. Okay. Uh, so worthless to you that whenever you think of them, the only thing you can think of is what makes you mad, and you kind of have this insulting um, appraisal of them in your mind. Okay, uh, anybody watch the '70s show? Okay, remember that show, the '70s show? There's this guy named Red, and he had a son named Eric. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> and it seemed like Red was perpetually mad at Eric, right? And if you know the show, you know the word that I can't say behind a pulpit, right? But he had this term of endearment for Eric that he used a lot, and it started with dumb, and it ended with another word for donkey, all right? Uh, and, and, th- and that's basically what we're talking about here. Jesus, you can't be calling people that, because when you're calling people that, you're being one of those, okay? And if anybody has the right or the privilege to actually call people raka or worthless or insulting or that sort of thing, the only one that's ever had that right has been Jesus. Because here's something we've got to clear up right away. Jesus didn't die for us because we were worth it. Jesus died for us because we weren't worth it. There's not a single person here that somehow Jesus said, you know what, there's something so special about that person, I'm going to die for them and I'm going to make them one of my kids. Not a one of us. We are all raka. But Jesus didn't treat us that way, you see. And that's what we have to learn here is how do we respond to people that we get angry at, who seem worthless to us, who we just want to insult in our mind and wish that they didn't exist. What, what do we do with them? When Jesus said, if you call your brother a fool, he uses the Greek word morose, and that's where we get the word moron. I had this little dog, his name was Rowdy, okay? And whenever Rowdy did something stupid, like pee on things in my house, I called him a moron. Rowdy, you little moron! Stop it! Right? Okay? I did not realize how how powerful that word was to a, a brainless puppy. Because I would say that, and you would see his entire demeanor change. His ears would whoop, go down. His head would hang. His tail would go between his legs. He would turn around, and he'd walk away from me, and he'd kind of give me the puppy dog guilt look. You know, stuff like that. And I thought, oh, man, he does not like that word. So I tried a little experiment. And when I'd come home, Rowdy was excited to see me, right? Okay, he's happy. He's Because that's what dogs do. You know, you're gone for three minutes, but when you get home, it's like you've been gone for three years. Like, oh, man, I didn't think you were ever coming back. Yeah. And Rowdy would come in and say, hey, Rowdy, how you doing, buddy? And he's just wagging his tail. His ears are flopping up and down. And he's just having, and he goes, it's so good to see you, a little moron. 
It didn't matter what my tone of voice was. He heard the word. It's how powerful words and the attitude behind our words are to our fellow human beings. Because that's what Jesus means when he says brother. He's talking about our fellow human beings. Brother, sister, neighbor, enemy, whatever it is. So we are hurtful people in our own power, in our own strength. We are not in control of that. So Jesus applied this teaching of what to do. He didn't just say stop it, but he said do this instead. And really that's what repentance is. Repentance isn't just stop sinning. Okay, Repentance is, okay, no more sin. <laughs> do this instead. Because what you're doing is you're changing direction. That's what repentance is. It's a change in direction. So instead of being angry and hateful towards our brothers and our sisters in this world, Jesus says, let's do this instead. And, and he puts it into two spheres of life. And the first sphere is having a right attitude towards our brothers and sisters in faith. Remember what he said? If you're bringing your gift to the altar, if you're coming in to worship... And you got that attitude towards another brother and sister in Christ, do not continue in your worship the way you thought you were going to. But worship instead by going to that brother or sister and saying, hey man, I need to make something right with you. And it's not anything that you did, even though they might have done something or said something. It's what I've done in my heart towards you because of that. Uh, when we deal with our anger towards another person, you are not being the bigger person. Let's get over that right now. You are not taking the high road. There is no moral high road. All right? When it comes to reconciliation with somebody, one of the first things we've got to understand is that we're all broken. Nobody more broken than somebody else. Because that's sometimes what I like to do, right? When I'm reconciling with somebody, I'm just being more right than they are now. No, no. I'm just being faithful to what Jesus exemplified and what Jesus told us to do, all right? So it begins there. It always begins in the house of God. But it doesn't stop there, okay? I'm so tired of Christians going, well, I'm, I'm okay with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean I have to be okay with the sinners out in the world. Yes, you do. You do. Get over that. We begin with our brothers and sisters in the house, and we don't stop there. We go out into the world and say, okay, who is it that I'm angry with? Who is it that I've been upset with? Who is it that I've grown bitter towards? Who is it that, in my own mind, I'm just kind of tearing them apart in my heart a little bit at a time? Who is that? And you do what you need to do. Because that's what he said when you're going to court with somebody. He took it outside of the sphere of the religious experience into the societal experience. And he says, act quickly. Act quickly. To make it right with that brother. Okay? Jesus isn't going about who did, who was wrong and who was right and this sort of thing. He's saying, you've got an attitude that is not part of my heart. Fix it. We've got to fix that. All right? So, in both instances, he's talking about reconciliation. You have it on the board there. Steps. 
for reconciliation. First one is, is you've got to know without doubt and reservation that both of you are equally broken. I don't care how bad that person hurt you. I don't care how wrong that person was when they offended you. They are not more wrong than you are, and you are not more right than they are. We are all equally broken. We are all on a level playing field, sinners in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. The only difference is, is that in some cases, some of us have received that grace. In other cases, some of them have yet to receive that grace. And they're not going to receive that grace if you continue being bitterly angry and hateful towards them. They're not. They have a chance if they see that grace at work in you. Second thing is pray hard. Because you can't do anything spiritual apart from prayer. Pray hard. And remember that prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue and a conversation. So you have to take some time to listen. Listen carefully to God. Because he's going to give you instruction on how to be right with this person. Okay? Now, I'll use Evan and me. Evan might be really ticked off at somebody right now. And I might be really ticked off at somebody right now. Okay? Maybe Evan's ticked off at me and I'm ticked off at him. I don't know. Right? God might have a completely set of instructions through his Holy Spirit for Evan than he would have for me as to what to do next. Okay? So we have to listen to what the Spirit says. You see, the Spirit's work and his main job is to get rid of, within us, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. That's Galatians 5.20, works of the flesh. That's what he's trying to get rid of in us. And, and what he's trying to fill us with is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. He says those belong to Christ, to those who, who uh, let me read that. It says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. So here it is, okay? Real simple point of application. If you're sitting here going, okay, Nick, I get it, I get it. I'm angry at somebody. You don't have to open the door for me now. When I leave, I'll just slither out underneath. Okay. Now, here's, here's the cool thing. Here's where God's grace goes to work. All right. If you recognize and you have a name right now, somebody that you're murdering in your heart, you've been killing them for some time. The Holy Spirit says, let's change that. Let's, let's change that. So put to death. Crucify it. Get ugly with it. Get brutal with it. That anger, that hatred. Put it to death. Because it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And instead, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control towards that person. Because you see, that's what Jesus did with us. If, like I said, if anybody had a right to say, you do not deserve to exist, it was Jesus. And to say that to us. But he did something instead. Instead of pouring that out on us, he he gave us his grace and his goodness. And that's what we're supposed to do now in his name to honor him. Third step is forgive. Okay? I want you to lock this word in with forgiveness. The word release. 
Because that is really what forgiveness means. It means to release. And you're not just releasing the person from the offense that they have committed against you. What you're actually doing is releasing yourself from the pain, the bitterness, the hurt, the control that that hurt, that offense has put upon you. It's Jesus setting you free of that. Because I'll tell you, if you're angry with somebody, hateful towards somebody, because of the wrong that they did to you, and I'm not disputing that people wrong each other because they really do, you're in prison. You are in your own self-afflicted lockdown. And Jesus does not want that for your spirit. First step, surround yourself with a godly community. Now, these aren't people in church that are going to join you in your anger towards that person. In fact, they're going to be bold enough and loving enough and kind enough to you to tell you, stop it. You just quit that right now because that has nothing to do with Jesus. Yes, I know you hate that person. I know you're angry at this person. But that has got to end now. And as your friend and your brother and your sister in Christ, we are going to surround you and we are going to help you to keep loving that person in spite of that offense. To be as much like Jesus towards that person as you can be. And then the fifth step is step back. Now, usually we think of reconciliation as constantly leaning in. Well, sometimes that doesn't help. Sometimes there comes a time when you just have to step back. Okay? Jesus isn't saying, all right, I want you to be best friends now. Okay? That, that doesn't just happen. You know? But you've got to figure out, well, what if we end up in the same room together? What if we end up in the same place together? How am I going to respond to that? Just step back. Step back and get out of the Holy Spirit's way and trust Him. He's going to lead in a variety of ways. Maybe He'll prompt you to get in contact with this person that you've been upset with. Maybe not. But whatever He leads you to do, just act on that. Trust Him for the proper timing. Maybe now isn't the time to talk to that person. What you need to do is begin by releasing yourself from that hurt in your heart. And then trust God to lead you to a time when it is okay to step in. Mainly when I'm saying step back, I'm saying step away from that ugly pile of hurt and allow your own heart and your own spirit to heal and to become whole. Because frankly, sitting there nursing your anger and your hurt feelings has been silently ripping you to shreds. And you may not even know it. The words that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount are not words to just give us something to think about. He's demanding action upon these words. So, if you're sitting here as an angry person, angry at somebody, and you know it, Jesus gives you a choice. It all comes from the very last words of the sermon in chapter 7. You can choose to ignore what Jesus says to your peril and ruin. Simple as that. If you're angry at somebody and you're not going to step away from that anger and allow, allow Christ to develop his character through, through his Holy Spirit in you, then you're building your house upon sand, my friend. And when the storm comes... 
you're not going to be there anymore. But if you do choose to act upon Jesus' word and say, today, no later, today, beginning right here where I'm sitting, I'm going to take the steps to releasing myself from this anger, releasing that person from this ongoing bitterness and hatred that I've had towards them. Today, if you take that step, then you're building your house on a solid foundation. And you will remain. You will remain. Whole. Healthy. The way Jesus has always meant for us to be. So there you go. I told you you weren't going to like this sermon. Because this isn't one you can just let go of. Because it's not going to let go of you. I promise you. If the Spirit wants to do a work in my heart to stop being an angry, hateful, murderous, intentful person towards somebody, he's not going to leave me alone. He's not going to leave me alone. And I don't think he's going to leave you alone either. So let's pray. Father, as the worship team comes up here, um, we're going to worship. We're going to sing a song because of who you are and because of what you've done. Because, God, that's the only thing that's going to change anything in any of us. It's the only thing that's going to make a difference in my life. So, Lord, we want to worship you freely. We, we know that where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And, Lord, I know that that's the desire of your heart towards us. You will dig deep. You will wound us with a sermon because you want to heal us. You want to remove that cancer that's been eating away at our spirit. And you want us to be more like you. So, God, today I pray that you set us free. Set us free from the anger, the hatred, the hurt, the bitterness that has taken root in us. Pull those weeds out, God, and would you allow something new to grow instead. Something beautiful. The character of Christ. Alive and well in us. Lord, today we want your resurrection power to take away what is nothing but death and hurt and to put in place life, health, healing, and most of all, your glory. Lord, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into this next song, I just want to invite you to reflect on the words, um, to uh, use this time uh, even as just a time of repentance. Um, if you're holding on to things, uh, any anger or anything, I just want you to um, just think and trust God um, on those things. Um, so as we sing, feel free to just sit back and pray or to reflect on the lyrics. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment and I never want 
pursuing her. That's what her deal was there. Um, man, wouldn't it be cool if we all said that to the Holy Spirit? Come pursue me. Come pursue me. Catch me. Get a hold of me. Come ground as you go forth from this place. Um, I want to send you out with the words of Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 9 as our benediction. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. With all. Grace and peace, common ground. Thank you for being here. Have a spirit-filled Pentecostal week.